And it was just such an extraordinary moment where suddenly the numbers on my birth certificate had t- took on this terrible power. And my chronological age out of nowhere suddenly felt like it had the power to to define and limit me, to decide what I would do with my life in this moment. And I came away from that tournament just reeling. And I knew that this was one of those existential crisis moments and I needed to dig deeper into finding out why I felt so bad about growing older. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with change makers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about this podcast, which just won an Anthem Award, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at our guests and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on the show. Find out more at judybanker.com. And our technical director is Stephen Litweiler. Well, our guest today is a true culture changer. He's called the godfather of the slow movement, and his book, Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives, challenges ageism by dismantling the inaccurate beliefs about growing older. He argues that aging can be a bonus rather than a burden. Carl Honoré is a Canadian journalist who is a best-selling author. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show, Carl. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. I was curious, you know, you're known as the guru for the slow movement, uh, the movement that challenges the frantic way we live our lives. I'm, I'm wondering how you got interested in ageism. Well, I've discovered through my writing career that all of my books start with a personal existential crisis of some sort. And <laughs> the, same, the same is true of, of Boulder. So the the crisis ran a bit like this. Um, a few years back when I was, I guess I would have been 48, 49 at the time, I was playing in a hockey tournament in the north of England. And my team were, we were in the quarterfinals and we were locked in a 0-0 tie with a team that we had annihilated the year before. And I could just, I could feel the nerves and indignation coursing through the <laughs> veins of my teammates. And then out of nowhere, I scored just a total highlight reel goal, right? The kind of goal you, you, I will be, I will be, it will be giving me goosebumps on my deathbed, that goal, right? And it, it propelled my team into the semifinals. I came off, I was floating on air. And then one of the organizers of the tournament came up to me just out of nowhere. And he said, Carl, I've just been looking through player profiles. And it turns out you're the oldest player here. And I mean, I knew I was one of the oldest. I'm not, I'm not deluded, but somehow, <laughs> somehow being the oldest just, it just shook me to the core. It rocked me to my very foundations. And suddenly all of these questions began crowding in. I was thinking, well, do I look out of place here? 
are, are, are people laughing at me behind my back or mm. should I be taking up an age appropriate pastime like bingo? Maybe. <laughs> Shuffleboard. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was just such an extraordinary moment where suddenly the numbers on my birth certificate had t- took on this terrible power. And my chronological age out of nowhere suddenly felt like it had the power to to define and limit me, to decide what I would do with my life in this moment. And I came away from that tournament just reeling. And I knew that this was one of those existential crisis moments and I needed to dig deeper into finding out why I felt so bad about growing older. It's shame. It, it sounds to. like you're you're talking about you felt ashamed. Well, I th- shame is very much, I think, one of the things that attaches itself to the very idea of aging now provokes everything from shame to guilt to fear to disgust <laughs> to mm, denial, mm, right? And shame is very mm. much part of the equation. I think that we have such a chamber of horrors view of aging uh, in our culture, which is so enthralled to the cult of youth. Aging is seen as a a disease or a curse or a form of failure. It's seen as surrender almost, right? Mm -hmm. And those things all Mm -hmm. lead to shame. And I think what I felt there was shame, even though there I was, you know, I I was the, I I went from goal score to granddad, right? In the, in the, (laughs) in the blink of an eye. And I, Uh in those literally a couple of minutes after floating on cloud nine, feeling on top of the world, just suddenly being made to confront the fact that I was growing older or that I was older. I was actually the oldest brought me crashing down to earth like Icarus flying close, too close to the sun. Oh, the sun. And it was just, oh there was something about it that, that I knew, I came away from that tournament knowing I was going to write about this. I knew it was going to be my next book right then and there. Had you thought about it um, through your other work? I mean, had it had it touched you personally in other ways before this existential crisis Not moment? especially. I mean, I was, you know, I was, as I say, I was in my late 40s. I'm now 54. So obviously I had I'd seen changes in in myself, right? Especially physically. I you know, and I still play hockey, but I can't run as fast. I don't have the the, the strength mm. or the stamina I had in my 20s. But I still, you know, I still enjoy the game and I can still contribute to my team in a, in 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 a, in a meaningful way. But I of course I I saw differences coming along and down the track, but you know, to be honest with you, I was a card-carrying member of the cult of youth. I I was a mm. terrible ageist, right? In my earlier incarnation, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't even want to confront my aging or other people's. It seemed to me, it did seem to me in those days to be a form of failure or a disease. And I just didn't, I blocked it out entirely. And there was something about that moment at the hockey tournament that just pulled back that deep, thick curtain of denial and forced me to face the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. so I think that I, I, um, I just hadn't really dealt with it. I pushed it aside. That's really interesting. You know, it's so interesting because you may be familiar. I know you're Canadian and and now you're in the UK, but in the US, we have the National Senior Games. Are you familiar with those at all? Well, is that the same as Masters sports? It's not the same. Uh, It's a similar vibe, though. And so every two years, and I'm going to be participating in May, you have to be over 50 and their last time were eight centenarians and there is a celebration feel when you go there it is like yay us 
and it's sort of the opposite of what you're describing. It's like, look at me do my sport that I love so much, perhaps not like I used to do in college, um, but I'm here with my people and we're doing this thing and we are really proud. I think that is exactly the kind of thing that we are seeing more and more of as the tectonic plates shift demographically in our culture. And it's a thing we need to see more and more because it's precisely by creating arenas where people can express exactly those feelings you've just laid out there. You know, I am doing the thing that has lit me up through my whole life. I'm doing it differently now because I'm at a different stage, but I still love mm. it. I may even love it more now. And I ought to be mm. able to celebrate it without shame, without guilt, without fear of being mocked and so on. So I think things like seniors games or master sports, Perfect example. Mm -hmm. And and they do a little, they, 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 they flip things around in a nifty little jujitsu fashion. Because in certainly in the master's world of sports, you, you go up in five-year increments. Mm -hmm. And what, what it means is that as you get to the top of your five-year cohort, uh, you, you, are, you may be struggling to beat people who are five years younger because they will have, in many cases, a natural physical advantage. But it means that as you then move up to the next cohort, you're in the first year mm -hmm. and you kind of have a little bit of an advantage. So it's really interesting. That's what I'm banking on this year. <laughs> I'm, in my, I'm in the new category. <laughs> so so I, I remember speaking to a woman in, who was 79, I think, and was a, a wonderful swimmer, had swum her whole life and was still competing vigorously in uh, master's tournaments. And she was said to me, I'm so looking forward to my 80th birthday. I can't wait for it because I will be able to compete from the 80 to 85 category, right? <laughs> so what a wonderful way just to turn around that birthday blues aspect of our culture mm -hmm. where we feel we feel ashamed by our birthdays we lie about them right i've, I've got a, i've got a good friend i often um cite who who recently turned 39 for the fourth time yeah and I, <laughs> I, I think that kind of gets at the shame that we all carry around or many of us carry around mm -hmm. our necks like a millstone when it comes to our own aging were there particular beliefs that you held? You're talking about the shame and um, sort of the failure. Anything in particular that you said, I was ageist, as we all are, because we're marinating in this culture of youth. Um, anything in particular you felt like you got stuck in or got maybe uh, tricked into thinking about getting older? Yeah, I mean, there are so many things. Uh, I mean, one that jumps out always first to me is I had bought into the idea that growing older is depressing. Yeah, like older people mm -hmm. are sad, right? And if you just think of the words that we use when we describe people in later life, right? We call them cranky, grumpy, crotchety, right? They're all words that suggest that later life sucks and everybody in it is unhappy when in fact the opposite is true because human beings follow what's called a u-shaped happiness curve where happiness levels start out very high in childhood and then they fall pretty steadily until they bottom out in middle age and then they bounce back up again so that around the world including the united states but in many many most other countries you find that the adults who report the highest levels of life satisfaction and happiness are the over 55s, right? Mm -hmm. Which completely shoots down the myth, the toxic myth mm -hmm. that later life makes us unhappy. The opposite turns out to be true. And, and one of the things that I think explains that is that as we get older, we become, and this is something I've noticed along the way, that you become more at ease with yourself, more confident, more comfortable in your own skin. You feel less 
beholden to other people's opinions, less obliged to tiptoe around their expectations. There's a great quote from Anne Landers, the legendary agony aunt, who once said, at 20, we worry about what other people think of us. At 40, we stop worrying about what other people think of us. At 60, we realize they were never thinking of us at all, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Which just nails it. And what it nails, actually, is that feeling of What's the word? Uh, lightness or freedom that comes on us in the second half of life, mm-hmm. where we we really come into our own selves. We know who we are. We know what we want. We know our strengths and weaknesses. We know how we want to be in the world. And I, I, I felt that I feel that acutely looking back on my twenty something. My you know my twenties were roaring. Of course they were. I had a great time. But I I, I wouldn't want to go back there. Right? You know I'm a lot happier now. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot more sure of myself now, and I think that's a pretty common phenomenon across cultures, across socioeconomic groups, across ethnic groups, is that people come into themselves as they get older. And that's that's a wonderful thing individually, but it also means that as the population ages, we're get, we've got a growing chunk of humanity that are sure-footed, that are sure of themselves, mm. that don't feel, that, that can speak truth to power, who don't feel they've got to worry about what other people are, are thinking or saying. They just call it as they see it. And goodness me, we need that now more than ever. Oh, boy. And is you think that's a function of knowing that we don't have all the time in the world or perhaps just experiencing more and, and there's wisdom? I, what's that a function of the sure-footedness? I think there's, there's various factors in play here. One of them clearly has to be experience, right? You've just got, you build up an onboard database of Mm. understanding, of pattern recognition about yourself, the world. You just, you know, all the studies show very clearly that we get a better grip on how the world works as we get older. And I think that that probably fits into that confidence in ourselves. It also explains our ease and greater happiness in later life, right? We just kind of know how things work. And I, that can be alarming to have that knowledge, but it's, I think probably less alarming and more comforting to have it than not to have it at all, right? So I think that's mm. a part of it. You touched on something there, a bigger question, the the, the M word, right, mortality. I, mm. I think the fact that we're getting towards the end or closer to the end or we become maybe more aware of death, if we embrace that fact with the right spirit, then it can be a way to supercharge the present, right? It can focus us Mm. on the moment now. And that's why religions like Mm. Buddhism and so on have regular, what they call death meditations, where they get people to meditate on death. And they don't do that, um, you know, so that you dwell morbidly on it um, and become Mm. depressed. But but the idea is not to shy away from it because an awareness that time Mm -hmm. is finite gives life shape and meaning. And it can spur you to Mm -hmm. make the most of the here and now. So I I think that's a big part of it too, definitely. I'm aware that there's some meditation practices that take place in the cemetery. And the idea is, you know, it's we're all going to end up here sooner rather than later. And it brings an immediacy. It, yeah. One yeah. of the things that I did for researching um, Boulder was I downloaded an app called We Croak. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a... <laughs> It's a, it's an app. It's an app that every five times a day sends you a quote from a great thinker or writer or artist or something, you know, and, 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 and it will be about death. It's a kind of memento mori, right? Some reminder of death. 
So every five times a day, you get an, a little a message saying, you know, I, I, you know, so maybe Margaret Atwood quote about the fine that, that life doesn't go on for whatever it is. I can't think of a quote now from it because I haven't used the app for a while. But I did use it for for quite. I used it till my phone died, and it's actually ah. it, it, it's it's very much that sort of idea that you just have these little moments when, you know, you, you're you may be freaking out about a long lineup at the bank or annoyed mm. because a waitress hasn't heard your order right and brought you know and, and you're mm-hmm. you're beating yourself up over the small stuff now and then suddenly you get this reminder that there's a bigger picture here and that you may not have this moment again that you're ruining by <laughs> freaking out over and suddenly it kind of brings you back into that place of saying you know what i've got x number of weeks months years left i'm going to make the most of every single second of them and and so i, I found I it re- a really useful test. thing we croak oh yeah that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm curious as someone who's so in touch now with ageism and how, you know, it, it's all around us. I'm wondering how it is in your uh, in your day-to-day life. If some a colleague or a friend or someone makes an ageist statement, how do you respond? It, will dep- it depends how well I know the person because, you know, if I know the person well enough, then I, I will usually not always because I don't want to be the the boring nitpicker and the you know the killjoy in the corner. Uh, <laughs> but you know, from time to time, I will, I will definitely call people out in, in a lighthearted way. Um, just call attention to the the, the expression, um, ask them what they meant by it, ask them what it how that might land uh, with someone of a different age or or themselves if it were if it were redirected back at them. And it's 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 amazing how quickly people as soon as you just throw a bit of light on an ageist expression, how instantly everybody realizes how ageist it is <laughs> and how often they hadn't thought of it before. I, I actually had an experience of this recently where I was at a um, uh, a public event and somebody was, re- the person who was interviewing me on stage re- reminded the audience about something that had happened in the 1990s, right? A cultural reference. And as she was saying it, she said, I'm really showing my age here, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's really interesting. What, what, what do you mean by showing my age? You know, are, are you... And of course, what showing my age means in that context is I'm older, I'm ashamed of it, but okay, here it is, right? I've, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, you could just flip that around and say I'm showing off my age, right? Because I was there, right? I remember this. I can share this mm-hmm. with you because I have frontline experience of what we're about to talk about and, and turn these things on their head. So, you know, you can think of a senior moment and reinvent it as a goldfish moment, right? You know, short-term memory. Right? Um, so I, I, or a real, you know, one of the things that they talk about in the senior games, I think one of their hashtags is real senior moment. Like, look at me. Love it. There you go. There's a good, there's another really good one. Yeah. Just to play with language. I, I, I don't want to become or to advocate the creation of some stultifying language police wherever, you know, I, I don't want that at all. Um, people and often people can use ageism against themselves in an ironic way. It can be a way of lightening the mood, breaking the ice. You know, I, I don't want to outlaw expressions, but I just think sometimes we all know when an ageist expression is getting waved through or given a free pass, and it shouldn't. And when you see that and the circumstances allow for it, I would argue and urge anyone just to step up and and, and do it with humor. Don't get angry, you know, and, and, and offer an alternative like real senior moment, right? I, I love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So how has this in-depth research 
and really seeing much more clearly about the ageism all around us. How has it changed your life and your choices going forward? Oh, utterly. Utterly has been transformative in all kinds of good ways. I mean, I have such a clear before and after. Before I was, as I said earlier, a complete ageist cult of youther, and I didn't even want to think about my own, my own energy. Now I'm now I'm completely at ease with it. I, 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 I'm honest about my age. I don't try to pretend I'm anything other than I'm not. And I'm looking forward to what's coming. I wasn't looking forward before. In fact, I, I remember very clearly in my twenties thinking, "Oh boy, I've." I've got to get it all done now because, you know, if I hit 30, that's it, right? That's, it's all downhill from 30. And <laughs> then I got to 30 and realized it wasn't, <laughs> and it was actually pretty good. And I was, I felt like I was still on an upward curve in lots of ways, but I was thinking 40, of course, that really is game over. So I felt a lot of angst and pressure and panic through my 30s. Then I got to 40 and discovered yet again that life wasn't over. And in fact, in some ways I felt like I was just coming into myself which reminds me of the famous quote from Carl Jung. I'm sure you know it as a psychotherapist. You know, life really does begin at 40. Up until then, you're just doing research. And I think I hit, I think I hit 40 and had that feeling. And now I've hit 50 and I put it back. And now I no longer, you know, after writing this book and going through all the science and the research and, and meeting people and thinking long and hard about it, I, I just, I've, I, I was carrying around that ageism like, like a cross on my back and it's no longer there. And I, I, I look forward now to whatever's coming next. Uh, and, and I look forward to now, right? This moment, I don't let age define or limit me anymore. I don't think to myself, well, is this age appropriate? Should I be doing this because mm. I'm that? Am I too old for this? Am I too young for this? I just think, is this right for me now? Does this feel mm -hmm. good? And if it does, then I'll give it a, a try. I'll roll the dice. So that's it's been a huge difference. I only wish, my only regret, I wish I'd written Boulder 20 years ago because I could have saved myself two decades of unnecessary worry, panic, <laughs> self-disgust, all see. these things. But of course, the truth is I could never have written this book 20 years ago because I wouldn't have had the experience and the knowledge, or you said the word earlier, wisdom to write it. <laughs> so I guess what I'm hoping <laughs> for, I'm wishing someone else had written this book 20 years ago and I could have read it then. It would have made a big difference to me because I've noticed that a lot of my readers are, I mean, at their span, everything from, you know, I've had people in their teens re reading it up until I think the oldest read I've heard from so far was 102. But it's mm. interesting to me how I've, a lot of people around the big those big early birthdays, like people who are around 30 and 40, get a lot of readers there who... Who are, who are coming to it and because they're grappling with exactly the ageism that I was then and feeling bad about growing older and, mm -hmm. and finding that learning about what aging actually is and what it can bring, especially in this golden age of aging we exist in. It's never been a better time in human history to grow older than now. Uh, they, they're, they're coming out of the, the reading of the book and exploring of the ideas feeling so much more upbeat. So, so that's nice to hear. Mm-hmm. It's a life changer. I mean, it, and, and I think about how much more energy we could harness to really use our talents and our gifts if we're not worrying about, you know, for women, of course, our wrinkles or our, you know, gray hairs or whatever. It, it, it just is such a different way to be in the world. Yeah. And it's it's such a a tragic loss, both individually and collectively. If you think how many 
roads are left unwalked and how many doors left unopened, how many lives mm-hmm. left unlived, how many ideas left unexplored or unshared because somebody is paying heed to that little voice in the back of their mind saying, I'm too old for this, right? People, people don't want to hear from me. This is, I'm over the hill or I'm past it or all those expressions, right? And I mean, that's just in the, in the great double entry bookkeeping of life. That is all debit, right? That's all loss. <laughs> and we, we can turn so much of it around by reframing aging and take telling ourselves a different story, which is that aging is not all downhill from 30 or 35. Aging is a, I think of it as like a, like a long novel, right? With different chapters that you go through or, or a journey. In fact, my, my, I'll tell you what, my favorite metaphor for aging these days is, is a video game. So you think of a video game as you start at level one, you, you know, gather treasure, tools, whatever, more money, treasure. You go on to level two, you go up to level three, you go up to le- and you're looking forward to the next level. You're aspiring to it, right? Mm, so I'm 54 see. now. It's like I'm really enjoying 54, level 54. I'm getting the most out of it. <laughs> but part of me is thinking, what's waiting for me in level 55? You know, what am I going to learn and improve in level 54? So when I get to 55, I'm ready to smash it. So I think it's just kind of coming up with new metaphors, new language, new framing for aging can allow us to avoid all of that debit column stuff where people just don't do things because they feel the straitjacket of their own ageism and throw off those shackles and free yourself up to age, as you say, with zest or as I say, boldly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think about is, you know, I've heard this expression, age is just a number. <laughs> and I sort of uh, wince about that because one of the things I think about and also seeing clients who are middle to late middle age and some late age is that you also have to attend to the realities of, as you mentioned in your hockey playing, you don't perhaps skate as fast. And, you know, what I found is I don't recover as fast after playing tennis that in the morning I I walk a little bit like a crab (laughs) until things have loosened up. And it seems to me that part of this or an important part of this is really appreciating your level and also knowing that what comes with the level are some parts of loss Yeah. that, you know, I wish I was at level 60 as I am now, but I wish I had a 35 year old body so I could run around the tennis court and not have to take Advil and go to the chiropractor. And so sort of (laughs) holding those both things at the, both things at the same time where there's this opportunity and preciousness and all of this, with the realization and acceptance that my body doesn't do what it used to do. Yeah. I Let's cycle back to that expression, age is just a number. I share your misgivings about that, that, that phrase. I, I never use it myself. It seems to me to be unhelpful and, and weirdly kind of ageist because the number matters, right? As you've just said, mm. you know, no one is the same at 60 as they were at 25. Um, they just they just aren't and in many ways nor would you want to be of course there are some things that we would love to have our 25 year old bodies in our 50s and beyond but that's just not going to happen for almost all of us right uh, so what does that mean it means that we've got to as you say accept 
in a way, take the rough with the smooth. Um, mm. Sure, I think it's fine to mourn what you've lost, but not to get sucked into a kind of constant backward looking yearning for what's past. I, I think you mm-hmm. you celebrate, you elevate, and you mourn what's 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 you what you're leaving behind in say level fifty four. Then you take mm-hmm. all the good stuff that you're going to take with you into level fifty five to the next one. Mm-hmm. But you keep mm-hmm. those two things in your mind at the same time. I think I think that's that's so important for being honest because I think if you start to deny that things are changing, then that's I mean, well, we all know that denial rarely pays off, right? It usually ends in tears one way or, or the other. Uh, I, I think it's also, it sends a dishonest message to everyone else, right? If you're pretending to be something you're not. It also means that people who are suffering, because we all age differently, and some people will have lost a lot more physically by, say, 55 than other people. And I think if we are able to accept that physical change, some kind of physical loss is a part of being human, then it makes it easier for all of us to help um, and feel compassion for those who have lost more Mm -hmm. than the rest. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing to remember as well. So often the discussion about aging, I don't know, often I hear it and it sounds very solipsistic, very self-focused, very me, me, me. And, and, And of course it's important the me is the starting point, but we is where we want to end up, right? We want to build a society where everyone can age on their own terms and feel good about it because we're all going to age differently. We, we aren't all going to be, you know, climbing mountains in our 90s, yeah? Um, but we can all, if we live to our 90s, aspire to something that that puts fire in our belly and a smile on our face and lifts our spirits every day. Um, and I think that one way to ensure that is by being honest and open about the fact that, yes, some things do get worse as you get older, principally on the physical side, and they don't hit all of us equally, and that that's okay. That's that's the world, but we need to be honest and open with it. And if we are, I think we can then create a society where everybody can age well in the best sense of that term, aging well. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's just really important thoughts. Where can people find out more about your work, Carl? That's very easy. You can find out everything you could ever want to know about me, probably much more, <laughs> at a single link, which is just my name. It's Carl Honore, carlhonore.info. So carlhonore.info. It's all there. Mm-hmm. So there's videos, courses, books, audio, you name it. It's all there. That's wonderful. And you're also, are you still doing a TV series in the UK about slowing down? Not at the moment, no. Uh, there's various things in the works. I was putting together a TV series about aging and ageism around the world, but the pandemic shot that out of the sky. <laughs> so that project Indeed. has been mothballed and I'm hoping to take it down off the shelf, give it a fresh lick of paint and, and take it forward from there. But at the moment, <laughs> I'm not actually in production on anything. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Very important work. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure from start to finish. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. 
And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.